All right, why don't you turn to Zechariah chapter 4, please. Zechariah chapter 4, the entire chapter, verse 1 through 14, the message entitled, Only by God's Spirit. In chapter 3, we saw man is unfit for service due to sin, and he must be cleansed by God's righteousness. Joshua was standing in his filthy garments, but God removed his iniquity and clothed him with rich robes as the representative of the nation of Israel. In chapter 4, we are going to see that man is also unable to accomplish the work of God by human strength or abilities, the arm of flesh. We are good at that. The vision of the lampstand with the two olive trees was to give confident assurance to Zechariah about the completion of the temple, and it unfolds for us in three movements here. Let me read chapter 4. Now the angel who talked with me came back and um, wakened me as a man who awakens out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand, a solid gold and a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it and at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You should become a plain, or shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that I, the Lord of hosts, has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which can, which can to and fro without, throughout the whole earth. And then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right hand of the lampstand and at the left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that dip into the receptacles and two golden pies from which the golden uh, oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. The vision of the lampstand, the two olive trees, was to give confidence to Rubabel about the completion of the temple. Three scenes. First, the introduction of the symbols revealed to Zechariah related to the temple in verse 1 through 5. The second scene is the revelation to Zechariah related to the completion of the temple in verse 6 through 10. And third scene is the interpretation of the symbols related to the temple in verse 11 through 14. The introduction of the symbols revealed to Zechariah, they were related to the temple. Verse 1 through 5. Notice here in verse 1, the prophet Zechariah is approached by the angel uh, for the vision. Now the angel who talked with me 
um, came back and wakened me as a man is awakened out of his sleep. The angel is the same one that has been speaking to Zechariah, if you've been reading and following us, indicated by the one who talked with me. The angel um, spoke to him in the first and the second vision in chapter 1, verse uh, 9 and 19. In the vision of the four horses, there are declared in verse 9 of chapter 1. The vision of the four horns and the craftsmen or the smiths, uh, depending on your translation, in chapter 1, verse 9, 21. So it's the same angel. There's other angels, but this one's the one that keeps talking with him. And the angel will speak to Zechariah throughout the vision. You will find him in uh, 4.4 also here, verse 5, verse 6, verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. He's all over this chapter. He asks questions to Zechariah. He gives answers to the questions that Zechariah asks him. Now this angel will continue to speak and interpret for Zechariah the remaining visions. You will find him in chapter 5, verse 2, 3, 5, 8, and 10, and the last time in chapter 6, verse 5. Now, the visions are from God. All were imparted to Zechariah in one night. On February 24th, 520 B.C., Zechariah 1.7 gives us that. Now, it's important for us to note the dates when dates are given so we can mark some uh, markings where it is, how long it took, and different things. They're given not just to fill space, but they're key. Now, the vision came five months after the rebuilding of the temple had resumed. Remember Haggai chapter 1 verse 15. They repented and they went to the mountains and began to rebuild again. Now the visions in the book are full of figurative language. As you've you've read it, you're very uh, observing this without any problem. And the symbols and signs are literal. Sometimes people will take figurative language and make all kinds of weird interpretations because figurative language through symbol signs and types, it doesn't mean it's not a literal event taking place. John writes the book of Revelation, he uses figurative language, but he's talking about real events that take place. So figurative language does not mean that it's not real, okay? It's just not the case. Now, the visions are interpreted by the angel so that we're not left to our own subjective interpretation. Um, so we need to follow what is given to us. Notice still verse 1. The prophet seemed to have fallen asleep. He came back and awakened me as a man is awakened um, out of his sleep. The place from where the angel returned is not given to us. He could have gone to heaven, come back. He could have been on another errand. God has sent him. We're not told. The point being that between the first vision and this one, uh, or the last vision and this one, that Zechariah had dozed off. Remember, he's receiving all these visions in one night, okay? Um, The last vision was of the reclothing of Joshua, the high priest, as the representative of the nation in chapter 3. The vision now is the building of the temple and the completion of, Here in chapter 4, the fact Zechariah was asleep and had to be awakened does not make this a dream. He was awakened and received the vision while being awake. So you have to make sure you mark that well. Now look at verse 2 and 3. The prophet Zechariah was questioned by the angel about the vision. The perception of the prophet is examined. And this is always seen in scripture. And he said to me, What do you see? 
You remember Jeremiah 1.11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Jeremiah 1.11. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, speaking about Jeremiah. What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. Jeremiah 1.13. God tells the perception of the prophet. God was going to judge Israel. They were the meat and the city was a cauldron. God was going to judge them through Babylon. Interesting calling on Jeremiah's day. You remember Amos the prophet. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Amos 7, 8. The plumb lines drop to see how crooked you are in regards to God. The northern kingdom. Amos 8, 2. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruits, but bad fruit. They had become idolatrous, turned their back on God. So the, the perception of the prophet spiritually is checked. Now the perception of the prophet Zechariah is being here checked or examined. And it was needed to be assured that what he was seeing was with clarity because it's going to be communicated to the people of God. The perception again, Zechariah responds to the angel that he saw a lamb stand in the vision. He responds appropriately. He confirmed what he was seeing in the vision. So I said, I am looking, and there's a lamb stand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, like the lamb stand in the tabernacle as well as the temple of Solomon. Exodus twenty-five thirty-one. you have the tabernacle there. Now, the, he describes the specific details for the replenishing of the oil here in the seven lamps of the lampstand. And on the seven, uh, on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. This is different from the lampstands in the tabernacle because Aaron would have to renew the oil in the evening and the morning. Exodus 25, 32, Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. Here, there's no need to be replaced. It's doing automatically as we'll see this. So it's just a little different here. Now, it is amazing as you read commentaries of the different interpretations. Just to give you an example of spiritual language here where it speaks about the seven lamps that the seven bowls and all that. They come up with seven plus seven, 14, and seven times seven, four, 490. All kinds of weird stuff. Where do you get to that? It just says there's seven pipes coming from the seven lamps from these two trees we're going to see. It's just simple. Now, verse 3, Zechariah told the angels he saw two more things. He stated what he saw. Two olive trees are by it. And he describes the specific details about the two olive trees. One at the right of the bowl and the other on the left. So the perception of Zechariah is right on spot. In verse 4 to 5, notice the prophet Zechariah now questions the angel about the vision. The response of the prophet was that he was puzzled by the vision. So I answered and I spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, What are these, my Lord? Zechariah could accurately and clearly describe what he saw. The lampstand, the two olive trees. But Zechariah could not understand what he saw. He had no idea what they indicated or meant spiritually. John the Beloved was taken to the day of the Lord, tribulation, great tribulation, 
the last seven years. And he describes things with understanding of his day. How do you describe nuclear war and, and, and ships and bombs and stuff like that? It's hard to do, isn't it? So he describes them in the figurative language to describe what he's seen literally. Being taken into the future. Now, the response of the angel was that he was surprised that Zechariah did not know. Even those things he was familiar with in terms of a lampstand, he was surprised. Do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. The words of the angel, do you not know these things, implies that he should have known them. Now, we're not given why or anything, but that he should have known them. He and the remnant had returned to build the temple. He was familiar with the lampstand and the association of the temple and the priesthood. He's old enough probably to be have seen Solomon's temple, and certainly he had the history of the tabernacle. And the words of Zechariah confirmed this lack of understanding and comprehension of these images. He said, no, my Lord. He admitted his ignorance. He admitted he needed to be helped in order to understand. In a way, it's, it's, it's almost like you don't understand, but at the same time, it's, it's good that you acknowledge you don't understand. Because sometimes in, in, in the life of the Spirit, we can get caught up with pride and we think we know more than we should, and we really don't. Only God knows the future. Listen to Isaiah 41, 42, or 21 through 24. And he's speaking to the gods of the age uh, that declare themselves. He says, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your uh, strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's, small g. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I am amazed of the multitudes of people that are so void spiritually that they run to so many just false teachers, false prophets today, people that rip them off, both in the church and the secular world, palm readers, pronosticators, insane. Today there are many who take the liberty to interpret the Bible and prophecy in a subjective way, they give whatever meaning they want to the symbols, the signs, and the figurative language, shadows, and types uh, to serve their own purposes and their agenda. And men are clever. Peter warns about those men in chapter 2 of Peter. They will have great followings from within the church in the last days. They ignore the context of who it's spoken to and they just apply it to anybody else. Straight across. There was a... Some of you who are about my age, a little older, remember one who was called Reverend Ike in L.A. He preceded all the positive confession, but he turned everything about finances. And his slogan used to be, pie in the sky. 
<laughs> Interesting. There was a man named Jaggers. I forget his first name, in L.A. in the 70s, 80s. He used to be in L.A. and he had a golden altar. And he had just beg and get all kinds of money. And there are many others we could name. Herbert W. Armstrong here in Pasadena. Some of you used to go there. He had so much bad teaching. One of them was the uh, lost tribes of Israel, right? And so a descendant from David was taken to England as the only monarchy. So English, because Ish is man, English and Danish and foolish and, you know. Um, and it's just amazing. And, and, and people give. They, they're, they're manipulated to give all kinds of money and to get ripped off. And um, I think of Scientology, cult, W. Armstrong, cult, Jim Jones, cult, Koresh, cult. And there's thousand others that we know nothing about. And people voluntarily go. Because they have a spiritual void, they're deceived. Jeremiah fourteen fourteen says, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, command them, nor spoke to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their hearts. The Bible must be interpreted with certain principles of interpretation. The first rule of mention means that when something is mentioned for the first time, usually it means the same thing consistently all the way through, unless otherwise stated within the context. Such as gold is deity, brass is judgment, silver is redemption. You have uh, leaven, which is sin. You have birds, which are always evil. When you have a woman, it's always symbolic of religion, and on, on and on. And these are consistent things that are the same all the way through in Scripture. There are certain principles. Now, parables are, are, are just destroyed so often by pastors and teachers. Parables do one of two things. They compare, they contrast, okay? They have one central message, a punchline. So you cannot give an interpretation to every little detail. You destroy the message. And often what is taught, even though those principles are followed, is the wrong approach to it. And one of the ones that's always taught wrong is remember that judge that didn't fear God or man and that woman came to get, make, do justice of her. And, uh, and the scripture says that he didn't fear God or man and, but this lady kept bugging him. So he's, I'm going to get her off my back and do justice, right? So people teach that and pastors teach that as we have to be consistent, persistent in prayer. Keep asking, asking, asking. Well, if parables compare and contrast, if I teach that, then I'm making it a comparison and I'm making God like that evil judge that has to be bugged so he can give me what I want. It's not a comparison, it's a contrast. Even though this man doesn't fear God or man and he did justice to this man, how much more God? Now, what is taught in persistent in prayer is biblical, but not for that context. You've just destroyed the parable. So it's very, very important. Prophecy must be judged by the word of God, not subjectively. 
with a creative imagination that man has to fit the current events and whatever they want to do. Because a lot of people get worked. You know, there are people who have believed people when they say, you know, Jesus is coming back in X number of years or this and that. And people have sold all. People, you know, there's count on it. They say, well, I'm going to drop out of school. Listen, you're to live your life like if Jesus can come back right now and that he might not come back before you die. So you plan your life, you work hard, you be alive, you be responsible, and you be looking up to your Redeemer. Are we clear on that? Okay? The prophet who has a dream, Jeremiah says, let him tell the dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the shaft of the wheat, says the Lord, Jeremiah twenty three twenty eight. You get wheat, you pull it out, there's a husk around you. Rub it, the husk, blow it away, you eat the wheat. You don't throw the wheat away, eat the shaft. This is what God's people are doing today. They're eating shaft and throwing the wheat away. So there's a big attraction by the emergent church. Because they distort the word of God. Everything's positive. No judgment. No talking about sin. We're all good. We're all going to just help each other. Really? Wow. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. The introduction of the symbols revealed to Zechariah, they were related to the temple here. Notice the second scene, 6 through 10. The revelation to Zechariah related to the completion of the temple. In verse 6 and 7, the proclamation to Zechariah called him to believe in faith. That's always part of Faith always points you back to God's revelation. It's not a feeling. It's not mind over matter. It points you to God's revelation whether you believe it or not. The angel delays the answering of the prophet's meaning, the question of the meaning of the things, until after this section. We'll get to it. But the angel prefaces words here with the authority of God. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. The authority was the Lord Yahweh, the covenant God to Israel. We've seen this before. The phrase says the Lord appears 22 times in the book. The phrase the word of the Lord, uh, capital L, Yahweh, appears 13 times in the book. The message was personal for the prophet Zechariah as others. Don't miss it. To him, Jeremiah, God said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. Jeremiah 1, 5. To the pagan king Cyrus, God said, Thus saith the Lord, to the anointed, the Cyrus, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Isaiah 45.1. He's describing the way Cyrus was going to defeat Babylon by deflecting the Euphrates rivers and going under the levee gates and conquering the city without an arrow shot. God speaks to worldly leaders today. They are in the hands of God like the rivers. He guides, he directs, and never against their will. And we don't understand that completely, but God is sitting on his throne, ladies and gentlemen. Notice the angel declared a twofold message in verse 6 there. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The work of the temple could not be accomplished by might. Human ability or power, human strength. This was a divine work of God. They were not to depend on human abilities to finish the temple. 
it would not do. The work of the temple, as you know, was going to be accomplished by the abilities that he says right here. The strength of God's spirit. But by my spirit, the word but makes a sharp contrast. The problem is we're always trying to help God out. We remember Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out. They, they, they ended up with an Ishmael. You don't want that in life. Ishmael's cost you a lot of trouble the rest of your life. Okay? That's a work of the flesh, not of God. He and others had to believe and depend on God in faith for the efficiency and the effectiveness of the work. You see, somehow we think that we know better than God. Somehow we think that we can perform better than God. After a while, we start believing what people tell us about ourselves. The Spirit of God and the oil in the lampstand will be tied together for the interpretation for oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Specifically in Leviticus 8, where Aaron and his sons in the tabernacle were all anointed with oil, symbolic of the Spirit of God. So here's one of the rule of first mention. Oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit, unless the context would indicate different. Now notice in 6, the work of the temple would have great opposition, as he says this. Says the Lord of hosts. The captain of the armies of heaven would be going before them. See, you and I describe often, Christians describe, oh, well, if God's in it, nothing's going to be wrong. Everything's going to flow. Really? Where do you get that? Paul says, hey, a great door, effective door is open to me in Ephesus. Many adversaries. Wow. Warfare is implied as well as victory. The building had caused, uh, had caused, uh, a lot of problems because it has ceased by the false accusations of Samaritans to Artaxerxes because they were not allowed to build with them, as you remember in Ezra chapter 4. The people became complacent and indifferent, so God um, sent them Haggai to rebuke them over their self-indulgence of their own houses and excluding the house of God in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. We saw that. Sixteen years had elapsed, and now God sent Zechariah, the prophet, to encourage them alongside Haggai. They're a tag team. They're twins along the work. Now notice verse 7. The angel declared the affirmation of the accomplishment about the seeming impossibility of the task of the temple. The obstacles would be removed. Listen, who are you, O great mountain? Mountains are symbolic of power and kingdoms. The discouragement by the Samaritans and the false accusations against them to Xerxes had ceased the work for 16 years. God said, all this I'm going to remove. Remember when God told Jeremiah that he's going to put the people of Israel in Babylon and bring them back 70 years, and then Jeremiah gets thrown in prison and he's doubting in prison, and God says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything difficult for me? Amazing. The one to see it would be Zerubbabel. Listen, before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah, appointed by Cyrus in 536-37 B.C., Haggai 1.1. He returned with a total of about 49,897 people. The book of Ezra, 1-8, 2-2, and many others. 
a small contingency compared to the great number because they became very wealthy and became business people in Babylon. The majority didn't want to come back. Now all this was that they not be discouraged in the work, but to be encouraged in the work as Haggai and now Zechariah speaking. The governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, would finish the temple, listen, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. The capstone is the finishing stone. The sound would be shouts of grace, beauty, favor, kindness, and pleasantness. But that doesn't mean there are others who are not going to like it. But the focus is God's work. You remember in Ezra 3.12, when the old men saw the foundation, they wept because they remember the beautiful temple of Solomon. The young guys, they looked like, all right, man, we, they're happy. Today is the best day of my life because it's the next day of my life. The best day of my life does not depend on what's going on. It depends on the next day because that's the best thing and the thing that God's going to do next in my life. And it's based upon everything that has gone behind me. We judge what God is doing too often in our feelings, our emotions, or whether it's positive or whatever. Is it beneficial? These guys are very discouraged. There's a small contingency, enemy all around them. There's a great heap of rubbish, everything else, and there's accusations, everything else. The work has ceased, and, but God's at work. Look at 8 through 10. The confirmation of Zechariah was one that assured him again the completion of the building of the temple. In verse 8, the angel continued to speak to Zechariah. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, here again, once again, he qualifies the source of the revelation, the word of the Lord. The angel received it and gave it to Zechariah. John in the revelation, God gives it to the son, the son to the angel, the angel to John, John to... Uh, Paul or, or John to us that chain of command the word to Zechariah declared three things mark it well in verse 9 Yahweh declared what he had already had accomplished by his hand the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple that was already done it began on the year 536 to 35 the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem, Ezra 3, 8 through 11 tells us. The work has ceased for 16 years, as we said. They resumed it just uh, recently in Haggai chapter 1, verse 15. August 24, 520 B.C., the second year of Darius, remember. Now Yahweh, secondly, declared what would be accomplished by him. His hand shall also Finish it. The date at this time is 519 B.C. They finished it in the sixth year of Darius, March the 3rd of 516 B.C. Four years after they resumed the work through the preaching of Haggai. Haggai 115. And you can check the date with Ezra 615. 
So three years from here, four years from the commencement. What he's saying right now is still in the future. It's a calling for faith to trust and believe God's word, right? In spite of the circumstance, the situation, emotions, feelings, difficulties. This is what God's telling Zechariah. Suck it up, buttercup. Hang tight. I'm doing something. Just follow me. Just trust me. The angel declared Zechariah would clearly know he was from God. Listen, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The angel was the messenger of God revealing the future at the present. Look at 10. The work of God is overseen by God himself. Always. Simple principle. God observes those who value highly the work of God, even though it may seem, listen carefully, insignificant. Listen to his words. For who has despised the day of small things? I have been privileged, and some of you also have been privileged, to see God raise up a church from one man who repented, who God led to start a Bible study, and it turned into a church. Way back in 1980, and here we are, 36, 37 years later. Very few people ever get to see that. Most people just find a church and they go there. It's been there for years, it's a denomination, whatever it is. Very few people are part of a work that God does all together. And what a privilege it is. I mean, we just started with nothing. It was a small thing, Bible study. And we started stepping out and we had to rent places and clean them up and carry things and shuttle things and everything else. It was great. All that was net. No one despised it. We were excited. As we are still today. The small things are necessary to prove our faithfulness. You as parents are training your children. In the small things as they start growing up to pick up their room, to do their chores, to help around. Because you're preparing them for the bigger things in life. The small things are to prepare us for the bigger things that God has. God delights as he sees doing the work of God. Listen to his words. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. God just delights using you. God just delights using people for his glory and his work as he wants to do certain things. The word rejoice means to make glad. The plumb line is used to make sure something is straight or to find that if it's crooked. But also here it means that Zerubbabel was involved in the work of God. He had obeyed and responded, left Babylon and come as difficult, whatever it is, but he's involved in it. And notice in verse 10 still, God interprets the phrase, seven, uh, these seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. As you can see, if you read carefully, the, everything's interpreted for us. There's no way you can miss what's being said. God sees all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Can't learn anything. Nothing surprises him. 
He's omnipresent. He's present every time, everywhere, at the same time. That's a nifty attribute to have. God scans the earth constantly. Nothing escapes him. He's already told us in chapter 2, verse, um, or chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, where there he, the, the horns and the, uh, and the craftsmen or the smiths, whatever the translation, uh, go out as his watchers, the angels. Not that he needs them, but his eyes go to him for, as well as the angelic watch. Zechariah was being declared here as having inside information to make known to the people of God. Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, 2. John the Beloved in Revelation 1.4 says to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That doesn't mean seven holy spirits. It's the reference to the seven. Seven is the number of completeness, not perfection. Completeness. Seven days in a week, seven basic colors, seven note, music notes, eight is the new beginning. Okay. It's completeness, not perfection. God is completely knowledgeable and conscious of everything. Nothing escapes him. You remember a woman whose husband had died in Scripture, and she cried out to Elijah that the creditors were going to take her two sons as slaves. And so Elijah says, um, go out and gather as many empty vessels as you can from your neighbors, your friends, your whoever. Get, and don't get a few, get a whole bunch. She came back, oh, I got him. I said, go in your house, shut the door, take the, the oil that you have, that little bottle of oil, that little jar, and start pouring into the vessels. And finally she came, there was no more vessels. She said, I did. He said, now, go sell some of the oil, pay your creditors, and live on the rest. You say, Xavier, you believe that? Absolutely. Just as much as I believe God saved you and forgave you, and that you're a new creature. There's no difference between those two miracles. Absolutely no difference. Do you believe God's word? Do you rationalize it? Do you allow the intellect of man to rob you of your faith? I hope not. Only as we continue to empty ourselves to be vessels of God will the Spirit of God continually empower us. God will not fill vessels full of themselves. You must empty yourself to be filled by God. It's real simple. The greatest work God wants to do in each of us is the spiritual work in our lives, in and throughout our body. Where our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-21 tells us. Beginning with a true repentance from a life of sin, being cleansed and regenerated. Continuing the process of life in the Spirit, Becoming more like Jesus, less like us. Uh, as we are single, um, we can only live holy and unto the Lord by his power. As married, the only way we can enjoy marriage is if we are walking in the spirit. If you're married and you're not walking in the spirit of husband and wife, you're, you're playing football without a helmet. It may be fun for a while, but it'll get kind of achy after a while. Um, 
finishing well, having grown, developed, and matured through life. Um, Matthew 5, 25, 23 puts it this way. Uh, in one of the parables, he says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you despise the day of small things? People start ushering here. We, they start in the parking lot, sweeping, picking up. We wash the toilets, whatever it is. Do you think yourself beyond this? Do you, do you, where, where do you hold yourself regarding the things of God? It's important. The work of God can only be done by God's Spirit. When God calls a person to ministry, He uh, equips them by spiritual gifts and with spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 11, 1 Peter 4, 10 says you have at least one gift. God also enables the person by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit on a continuous basis as we yield and depend upon the Lord. Acts 1.8, Terry in Jerusalem to you be endued with power from on high. The empowerment for service. Ephesians 5.18, keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. And by the way, that's right before 5.18, before you get into the ability to be a family man. Husband, wife, children, son, daughter. Jeremiah 17.5 It's great for those who attempt to do ministry by the might and power of their flesh. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Asa was humble, weak, dependent on the Lord until he became strong. And then he no longer trusted God. Ooh. The evidence of being called, enabled, and empowered by God is the efficiency and effectiveness to accomplish the work of God that a person is called to do. And size and popularity never matters. If you're impressed by numbers or by notoriety, you're in the wrong church. You really are. Do not despise the day of small things. You just make sure that wherever you're going, that they're teaching the word of God and they're pointing you to Jesus, not to themselves. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7 says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in the Zerstan vessel that the excellence and the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Wow. The revelation to Zechariah revealed it was related to the completion of the temple. Notice the third scene in last 11 through 14, the interpretation of the symbol related to the temple. He puts it all together. The prophet Zechariah asked again the explanation of the symbols here of the vision, 11 through 12. In 11, the prophet addressed the angel. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees and at, at, at the right of the lamb stand at the left? At first, he had asked that back in verse 4, referring to the lamb stand, the seven pipes and the two olive trees. The prophet now wanted to know the connection between the two olive trees and the supply of the oil. And I, I further answered and said to him, 
What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Zechariah could see the two olive branches from the two olive trees that were constantly supplying the oil needed for the lamb to continue to burn and give light. Very obvious. He's got a good vision, but the perception is not as good. So in verse 6, Zechariah has already been told, personally, the work of God can only be done by the Spirit of God. But somehow he can't make these connections. The principle was applied to Zerubbabel in verse 7, the governor who was going to be responsible for accomplishing the building of the temple. But Zechariah still cannot connect the dots. He can't put them together. Once again, revealing that what we know about God and the things of God is not because we're so smart or educated, but it's a work of the Spirit that illuminates us. That's good, ladies and gentlemen. So we don't think we're so hot. Some people are, well, oh, they're going to start the book of Matthew. Oh, I've already gone to the book of Matthew. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Got it all, huh? All right. Look at verse 13 through 14. The prophet Zechariah received the explanation of the symbols by the angel. The response of the angel for the second time was, to, to his surprise, that Zechariah did not know. Then the answer, he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. The words once again imply that... He should have known. No explanation is given to us, but somehow he figured he should have known. He admitted his ignorance, and he admitted he needed help to understand. So it's good on one side, bad on the other. He had no idea, again, of what it indicated spiritually or what it meant spiritually. Then in 14, the angel provided Zechariah with the understanding of the two olive trees and the constant supply of all. It was the Spirit of God that was going to build and finish the work of the temple. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Who's the two? First Joshua, chapter 3, verse 1. Listen. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. We saw that last week. Joshua's one, the representative of the nation. He's been cleansed. The second, he gives us, and by name now, Zerubbabel. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Wow. It could be long-term wise that these two that stand before the Lord of the whole earth also could be the two witnesses in Revelation. One Elijah, and we've already talked about him, and it could be either Enoch, or it could be Zerubbabel, or it could be John. I don't want to get sidetracked. We already covered that. But this could be a short-term and long-term prophecy of the two that stand before the Lord of all the earth, two witnesses. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 29-32. Is not my word like fire? says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words from everyone from his neighbor. In other words, they just repeat each other's sayings and sermons like parrots. Behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who use their tongues to say, he says, 
In other words, they're saying God sent them. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and, and tell them and cause my people to err from their, by their lies and their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not prophet his people at all, says the Lord. Wow. Jeremiah 23, 29 to 32. It grieves the Lord as so many fraudulently represent God today to manipulate the people of God. But you, the people of God, are responsible to judge everything. Be a good Berean, Acts 17, 11. Everything by the plumb line. Koresh, Jim Jones, many, many others. There's millions out there we don't even know about. We must come to the Word of God with great reverence. We should not interpret the Word of God according to our culture, according to our religion, um, according to liberal theology that is being taught today so much in churches, liberal churches, emerging churches, seeker-friendly churches. We should not try to alter, change, or omit or add to the Word of God. Listen to Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord Yahweh your God, which I command you. So in the law, that cannot take away. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you are found a liar. A lot of liars today over the pulpits. And in the pews, the chairs of churches. Proverbs 30, verse 6. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, Revelation twenty-two eighteen. Wow. God honors his word above his name. You do not mess with his word. We should study the entire word of God, not just prophecy, not just the gifts, not just the gospels, not just the book of Revelation, not just the New Testament, all the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, 66 books, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Wow. Paul told the Ephesian elders, for I have not shunned to declare to you the full counsel of God, Acts 20, verse 27. Any pastor that doesn't teach you Genesis to Revelation, you shouldn't be sitting under. If they're not walking through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, they're not giving you the whole counsel of God. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A workman does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word dividing the word of truth is like a point man. Cutting the blaze for the army that's coming behind him. Straight through that forest. Let me give you some things to remember. As long as I am emptying myself daily, God will continue to fill me. God cannot fill a vessel that's full of self. Impossible. As long as there is a constant emptying of empty vessels in the church where the work of God is going on, the Holy Spirit will fill you, the vessels, to be involved and to do a great work for God. It works on both ways, pew and pulpit. It's a marriage, ladies and gentlemen. We may not like each other at times, but we're one. Just like husband and wife, no different. 
Every believer is to know that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. Impotent. We're to be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered. The interpretation of the symbols revealed, it was related to the temple. The angel put all the dots together for Zechariah. So the vision of the lampstand with the two olive trees was given to be confidently assured that the completion of the temple would come to pass. Unfolding for us in these three scenes, the introduction of the symbols revealed to Zechariah were related to the temple. The revelation of Zechariah revealed it was related to the completion of the temple and the interpretation of the symbols revealed it was related to the temple. This chapter is all about the temple. If you go somewhere else, you've gone on a rabbit trail. <laughs> it's all about the temple, what God was going to be doing. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts and we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes everything alive and available and powerful to us, Lord transforming us. We pray for those that are here over the internet or the radio, Lord, and they don't know you, you speak to their hearts, that they see their need of you and their need of repentance so you can save them, Lord. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has called you, brought you here, no coincidence, for you to understand that you're a sinner and sin separates you from God, but that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He paid the price for you. And if you believe that he did that and died in your place, you can call upon him and he will forgive you of your sin, justify you and save you right now by grace through faith. So maybe you're here or in the balcony or maybe you're over the internet or maybe you're out there in, uh, in the world hearing the message. You can ask him to forgive you right now through repentance. This is your prayer to him and he's going to save you by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.